While spending time with the Justice League, we noticed that we had been neglecting a group that always seemed excluded during meetings amongst these gods. The sidekicks. Seeing them during individual cases might have been good to keep them in our memories, but what were they up to when the adults weren't around? Robin was gracious enough to let us tag along so we could find out where these teen titans were off to next. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. We have new things today, for once, and it's exciting Ooh. because it is the Teen Titans, and we've talked about doing this for so long, and now we're actually getting to it. Um, it is only four issues that we'll be covering between the years of 1964 to 1966, because those are the four times that the Teen Titans appeared. Um, we'll be covering two issues of Brave and the Bold, one issue of Showcase Presents, and Teen Titans number one, uh, which is in 1966. But this is kind of a fun, I don't want to say anomaly, because DC has a history of doing young hero teams. Obviously, the Legion of Superheroes is a thing before the Teen Titans. So it's not like DC is branching out into new territory while doing this. But it is new in that it is using heroes of that contemporary generation and not heroes of a far off future. Yeah, I th I'm going to I'm going to put a placeholder here uh while I take a quick look at when the Legion of Superheroes was first having their own comic because I don't think it was going on at that point. I think I think this might be the first time that we're getting a DC superhero teen team up as the like star of the show isn't it, but the Legion is a setting for Superboy stories. This is a teen team. I am 100% incorrect. Adventure Comics number 300, Legion received their own regular feature cover build Superboy in Tales of the Legion of Superheroes. So, yeah, you are correct. They are, yeah, they even displaced Superboy entirely from Adventure Comics. Huh. So, basically, DC is doing teen teams already. This is their way of doing it, not in the distant future. With characters that, if you're not reading Superboy and you're not reading action comics, you will be aware of. Because the characters in the Teen Titans are all sidekicks for the Major League Justice League of America characters. Uh, we'll get into that roster as we begin to do the actual uh, summaries. But it'll be fun, just because these characters don't get a lot of play, except for maybe Kid Flash as independently yeah. um, as some of the others do. So we're going to jump right into it with Brave and the Bold, number 54, June-July of 1964. Robin, Kid Flash, and Aqualad all travel to a town where the teenagers have been on strike to get a new kids hangout built in town. I don't really know how kids can go on strike if like it's it, they're not even like striking their jobs they're just like we're gonna we're gonna protest and it's like uh, okay sure but like what are you protesting oh we want you want a new clubhouse okay there's a couple things to unpack in there because the weird thing is it does get treated like a strike in the sense like there are points where at least my memory of the story is that they are like oh the kids were gonna do this thing like it 
is it just chores? Is it just their like participation in society? Is it no, there were jobs that they were doing and presumably being underpaid for? It's not clear and it doesn't really lean into it very much. The other bit is it's unclear to like I read this and I I map onto it. Oh, this is a story about hey, there's nowhere that we can be without it being like without having to pay money for it. Like the way that you kind of hear t- like current society talked about, like where do you go? Why why are bars the hangouts? Because everywhere you could hang out for free doesn't exist anymore, except like libraries. But I I think this might be a little bit of a constant refrain. There are so many interesting things you could map onto this, but it's really not super interested in telling that story or specifying it in any concrete way. It is a, it's a very shallow conflict. Yep. Um, and this isn't even the heart of the conflict of this issue in yeah. particular, uh, because when, like I said, Robin, Kid Flash, and Aqualad get to the town where the kids have been protesting, they are all, all the kids are gone, and the adults don't know what happened to them. Uh, except Robin, Kid Flash, and Aqualad um, encounter a person called Mr. Twister, who is a very eclectic dresser. I'm going to say he looks like a colonial man in a weird cape with a magic staff, um, and he has tornado powers, let's say. It's not really defined. He has magic, whatever that means, is what Mr. Twister can do. Um, and it's revealed that Mr. Twister is the descendant of one of the founding members of this town when it was first established during the colonization of America, that his ancestor had a had something that the colonizers wanted, or the, the colonials wanted, and in return, he wanted feathers. He, like, that was his payment. He wanted feathers... And should he not be paid, he would take a child from the, <laughs> the colony as payment. Unfortunately, as time has gone on in this story, the, the pigeons that he wanted feathers from have gone extinct. And therefore, his ancestor is now like, well, I'm, I'm calling in back pay for the rent that you owe me because my ancestor owned this land. And since you can't give me a billion feathers... I'm taking your kids, which seems like a logical stretch, but I'm <laughs> not really one to argue with a madman who dresses like a disheveled Sam Adams. Um, God, yeah. So he, the the trio finds that the, the teenagers are basically being held on this island that Mr. Twister is making them do manual labor. It's very unclear what he wants them to do. And what is the purpose of this other than just now he's got a bunch of teenagers, which in and of itself is nefarious for a man who has to be in his late 30s, early 40s to be just hoarding teenagers on an island and making them, making them do manual labor for unspecified reasons. Um, it's weird. It's a weird story. Um, yeah. So the three uh, sidekicks obviously defeat this weird guy. And the adults have learned the error of their ways to, you know, make sure that the kids have a safe place for them to hang out. And the kids realize that, like, oh, shit, that was kind of weird. None of this was really our fault. And uh, we didn't really learn a lesson. Because there's no lesson for us to learn other than uh, get mad at colony, you know, colonial people who made deals for pigeon feathers. I don't know. I don't know what the kids are supposed to learn here. Um, 
but there is some weird um some weird contention between Aqualad and Kid Flash um that like rivalry kind of like butting heads things um Robin is very much the uh, plan maker for the three of them Kid Flash is the big powerhouse but obviously there is water for the island that the kids are taken to so Aqualad gets to flex with his fish power stuff uh and that's that's generally the first story it is just the three of those those characters all sidekicks for Aquaman, Flash, and Batman doing it up. And then a year later, in Brave and the Bold number 60, June, July 1965, Robin, Kid Flash, Aqualad, and now Wonder Girl don't worry, we'll talk about that in a second. Wonder Girl are the the foursome. Uh, They hear about a town that has elected another teenager mayor. Which always ends well. Um, this, This kid's mayor for a day and he's gotten all the other teens to do a bunch of stuff to show that kids can be trusted, which is great. I mean, showing kids have responsibility, that they can be trusted to handle civic uh, responsibility and civic-minded duties. Cool. It's a bit weird, but there's nothing wrong with this. To show that kids are responsible. Great. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the kid who's been elected mayor, his father was arrested for basically being a mad scientist and developing something called the separated man, which is just the grossest looking collection of floating limbs um, that are giant sized like a floating hand, a floating eye a floating foot attached to like a shin but like everything that's it's like got pustules and stuff on it and it's lumpy and gross and it looks charred or, or burned or something, it's did, not great did you see Ralph wrecks the internet? yes the Ralph made of Ralph's just every like a mm-hmm. giant, like a person but Instead of, like, pixels, it's made out of little people, and this just has that same kind of bubbliness. Yeah. <laughs> Nodgeness. Un- yeah, it's, it's unnatural in its look. Um, so, the town, so the separated man begins to attack the town, and the town goes like, See, we can't trust children. Look, the, our mayor, our current mayor, is the son of a wanted felon um, who should be in jail, but he must have broken out if the separated man's out. Um, Robin, uh, Kid Flash, Aqualad, and Wonder Girl find out that the kid's dad actually wasn't, isn't behind this. He's trying to stop it. His cellmate from jail figured out how to also make the separated man and has now turned himself into it. And the kid's dad has an antidote that he wants to use to stop this madness. So the team of four, let's call them the Teen Titans, even though they're not really named that right now go and stop this uh, from happening. They restore the reputation of the scientist as well as the kid who is mayor for the day. And pretty straightforward story. Not a bad one, actually. I mean, it's actually kind of interesting, and they they drew out that plot line fairly well over the course of however many pages. It wasn't amazing, but it was okay, sure. I mean, it was better than the Mr. Twister storyline, because the the exchange rate for pigeon feathers is just astronomical and i didn't believe that um also just a a quick note there is a young girl in town who is jealous of wonder girl because wonder girl notes how the kid mayor is kind of attractive and the kid mayor has a gal that he's going steady with uh, presumably and when Wonder Girl makes an offhand sort of uh, out loud comment about how dreamy he looks, his girlfriend gets all in a huff. I'm calling these situations out specifically because 
they are so few and far between. And I think that's something I want to talk about. Like, we don't actually get very many kids being kids moments in these stories. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that later, about how these change the age of all these characters and they could all just be adults. And that there's nothing that makes these teen-centric stories um, other than the fact that, like, the first one was we're looking for, we're on strike to get a new youth center and uh, I'm mayor for a day as a teenager. If you, if you take out the, the adjective teenager, there's nothing that really makes these stories teen-centric until the next one, which is Showcase Presents, number 59, December 1965. Same year as the previous uh, issue of Brave and the Bold, except they are now in an entirely new storyline, uh, new book, and they are referred to as the Teen Titans. Uh, the Titans, again, Robin, Aqualad, Kid Flash, and Wonder Girl, are tasked with proving the innocence of a pop music group called The Flips, which are a trio of musicians, singers. Uh, one is a drummer, one's a guitarist, and one is a singer. Two guys and a girl. One surfs, one has a motorbike, and the girl does gymnastics, I guess. It's not clear. She's just very athletic. Yeah, it, she has no gimmick <laughs> yeah. other than I am also the girl. Um, this is the most centrally... This makes them feel like kids. Because there's a bit with each of the heroes, with each of the titans, with their respective mentor, listening to music from the flips. And the adults are like, I don't get it. And the kids are like, hey man, it's really cool. And that to me felt like, oh look, we're characterizing them as children. Or at least as teenagers. As opposed to these other stories where it was just like, oh, we got called in because we're the same age as these people. And not showing them have, like, teenage characteristics or characterization. Um, of course, the flips are being... Uh, people are impersonating the flips and robbing banks and things like that. And getting the high-profile celebrity uh, musicians in trouble. So the Teen Titans stop this and, of course, save the day. And they get to go see the flips because who doesn't want to see them? Uh, they're so great and groovy. The final story that we're going to cover, Teen Titans number one, January, February, 1966. The Teen Titans, which is our team at the moment now, they're finally called that, um, joined the Peace Corps, which is a weird, <laughs> weird thing. Yeah. Um, not that they can't help. Not that they can't do their part. They're the only teenagers in the Peace Corps. There are no other teenagers that... with them. Well... There are younger people, huh. but they are not coded nor specified to be teenagers. If you look at the induction sequences and the times that they're getting told information, they're in a room with a bunch of adults. I guess that's true. Like, the, I feel like the people who they wind up interacting with when they go out are more teen coded. But yeah, you're right. There's the <laughs> the mouthpieces of the organization are adulty. Straight huh. up adults. Yeah. Um yeah. Not to mention, the Teen Titans are basically sent to a South American location to help the construction of a dam to help a small town, you know, expand and get water and irrigate, like you do. Um, unfortunately, the construction for this dam is being uh, disrupted by things like a giant metallic conquistador statue that is terrorizing the dig site, um, and yep. also magical animals with the face of a man. Um weird weird combo um we find out later that there is a guy who used to be the governor of the local town who got ran out by the locals specifically in a revolt um and he took refuge in a small temple that is being 
flooded by the construction of the dam. And in doing so, when he took refuge in the temple, he found magic things that they he was going to use to, to fight everyone. Um, obviously, he's he's beaten and taken away. I want to talk about a thing here, though. So they are members of the Peace Corps in a foreign nation building a dam. They are purposefully flooding what I have to assume is an archaeological site. Yep. <laughs> Um, yep. And I'm not an archaeologist. Uh, I just play one on TV. But there, there's something about the native inhabitants of this South American location 100% being chill with the flooding of a culturally important location for a town we also never see. Yep. We are only ever at the dig site for the dam. Um, watching a developed nation's created organization helping out what is coded as an underdeveloped nation erase their history through industry is a weird flex especially when using teenagers to do it i'm sure this wasn't the intention of the writers they were not trying to talk about this but looking back on it that's like a thing people would talk about in the aspect of like, hey, this is a historical site. Could we maybe build the dam somewhere else? <laughs> yep. And I mean, this is the kind of thing that happened. Like thinking about uh, the, I think the Yangtze River in China was partially dammed and there are like entire villages that were literally wiped off the map because, hey, this is, we have decided on this building project and, uh, sorry, move. Uh, and it's, it's so, my feelings on it are so conflict, so mixed because on the other hand, and this is kind of touching back to the piece that I'd talked about, I'd mentioned earlier of, there's an interesting thing here and I don't know whether to give them credit for this. There is a giant metal conquistador robot that is exacting tribute from the locals, keeping them underdeveloped. Like, that is so on the nose. Yeah. There's, and there's I don't know whether to give them credit for it because the next thing that comes out to, to stop this action, that the, the, the thing that is being coded as good, the dam building project, is native gods defending the temple. And it's like... I don't happening. know. I like this is the kind of on the one hand this the conquistador point is so on the nose of like if if you if you have uh the other like th the thematic example that I go back to is uh Austin Walker coming up with a mech design that the the main empire evil empire uses that has like guns on the like strapped to the side of the head so it cannot look at you without pointing a gun at you. Like, this is that kind of on-the-nose character design, like monster design. And then I can't decide if you get credit for that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really hard when we see these things that have really interesting cultural... Uh, not even significance, but sometimes cultural commentary mm -hmm. in an accidental way. That, you, again, it's the 1960s. I'm not expecting them to be really using comics to start pushing any sort of political agenda. However, contrary to what we saw in the Justice League stories. Um, 
And I'll but, actually disagree with that because they are pushing a, a political agenda. Like there are like uh, maybe not UNESCO, but definitely like World Health Organization stuff. Yeah. And Peace Corps e things like ads like PSAs. That's the word I'm looking for. PSAs running alongside it. It's just right. Was this the message you were? It, have you thought about all of these implications? <laughs> and and to be fair, in the 1960s, we weren't as culturally sensitive yep. to underdeveloped nations and societies that we believed were lacking in um, industrialization mm-hmm. and the social graces of a developed nation. So I'm I mean I'm not gonna. I'm not going to look down on someone from the 1960s who probably has a really uncomfortable view about a South American country in general (laughs) due to being in the 1960s. Um, But I will also say that this is a weird look and not a great one, but also just like, hey, maybe don't make the teenagers do this. (laughs) That, yeah, like, honestly... I could 100% understand, and I, I think the most likely explanation is it is somebody who is, like, thinking about, yeah, conquistadors, colonialism of that kind, bad. Uh, but wouldn't it be great if they all wore blue jeans and got rid of their old ways that were holding them back? Like, yeah. That... And then democracy came, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's yep. it's very much like a, isn't it a good idea to show kids to help, like in the Peace Corps? Yeah. Isn't it a good idea to show kids reaching out and doing a charitable thing to show kids, hey, you can help people who are in need in other locations with as, you know, as a member of the Peace Corps? Nothing wrong with that. What is uncomfortable is, hey, sometimes the Peace Corps erased cultural history for the sake of progress. Mm. Now, mm-hmm. now, to be fair, we didn't see everything leading up to the dam being built and they could have yeah. gone through that location, decided that there was nothing worth saving because everything was probably in such a state that they were like, mm, I can't, you know, we can't read this. There's nothing to take for our local museums, for our own cultural history. Maybe all the cultural artifacts were taken out already and distributed amongst the people. That's entirely possible. They could have okayed this because they did the due diligence. However, I'm not going to give them that credit. Yep. <laughs> because I, apparently there were magical items in there that allowed the old leader of the government to fucking make monsters. So maybe they didn't look through the temple to see those things that could have been potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. now, I think yeah. it, it's probably worth noting, like, I don't know whether they would have ever used the ex, like quote unquote extra pages for this, but to like do that kind of uh, check the boxes kind of thing. But we we have historically had like sto- issues with villain, uh, not necessarily the origin story, but like a lot of flash comics. Okay, uh, Captain Boomerang's back, and we get like two or three, maybe like four or five pages of I. I broke out of jail and here's what I'm doing with my spare time. And now I do the thing and now the conflict begins. And these are lean. I I don't know if lean is the right word for these stories, but they move fast enough and we don't really get much of that. I, except in the case, uh, I, I think we get some of that with uh Bromstick in uh, the first issue, but yeah. by and large, these, these stories move quickly and they're not interested in, doing any groundwork laying that they can't show in a page or in the midst of everything happening. 
And they're also trying to sell these characters to the reader. Um, yep. These yeah. these read like Martian Manhunter stories. Ooh, I don't uh, know what you mean by that. <laughs> quick and to the point with little depth. Okay, I'll agree with um, that. <laughs> in the sense of like, they don't spend time to kind of develop things. And here's part of the thing that I wanted to talk about. And uh, But uh, going back to a point that we said about not pushing a political agenda, that's actually false. They do it all the time. We saw that in the Justice League stuff that we covered where they were talking about, like, you know, people can now vote, and compassion makes people yep. not be racist yep. anymore. So it's like, okay, no, they do they do that. Just a bit off base in this one right now. But uh, I don't think we actually stated who, who writes these. Oh, yeah. So let me bring that up, uh, because it, I did look at the creative team for each of the different things. Multiple, multiple uh, different artists, but a single writer for each of these stories. Yeah, so Bob Haney. Uh, it's, Bob Haney. It's, yeah, it's, had you done any poking on that? It, like you brought it up as though there was something you were going to say about. I just I was I was more or less yeah. saying that like we keep saying they, and I wanted to specifically call mm-hmm. out the writer, um, because sometimes we go like Gardner Fox does specific stuff, or like you know, Bill Finger writes this way, or John mm-hmm. Broom, or what have you. Bob Haney is doing this. This is how he writes. So worth noting about Bob Haney, like I, I poked around and it. It sounds like this is kind of the the big thing that he's known for. The other the other thing that's like right around this time, uh, and in fact, actually between the two Brave and the Bold stories, uh, he co-created Metamorpho. Uh, and he also did uh, a bunch of war comics uh, and he did a bunch of other Brave and the Bold stuff. A lot of team ups, including like Aquaman and Hawkman, Green Arrow and Martian Manhunter, a, a bunch of that kind of stuff. So it sounds like sort of uh, general workman uh, just doing a bunch of stuff and then this is where he's he's known for. So the point that I was going to talk about specifically with the lack of depth is a number of times we see someone interact with Wonder Girl in either the way of saying they are jealous with her uh, jealous of her interest in someone like we had in the second story where the, the, the kid mayor's girlfriend was jealous that she was making eyes at her boyfriend or a number of young men note how pretty or how talented Wonder Girl is. Nothing is ever done with that. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is no one ever goes like she doesn't have like a, 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 a young suitor per issue to show that guys are fighting for her attention. She really is that pretty. It's just like, oh, look how cool she is. Um Obviously, some of the other aspect of that is we know Wonder Girl has Reno at this time or Mono or whatever his merboy. So, yeah, there is that. I think they could have leaned into that to give a little bit more of that teen drama just for the sake of punching it up. Conversely, Kid Flash and Aqualad Mm -hmm. don't really Mm -hmm. butt heads all that much. Instead, they just kind of try and show each other up once or twice. It's not a common theme that we've seen in these four stories. It happened in the first one very pointedly. And then Aqualag kind of made like a you're dumb joke about Kid Flash. Oh, yeah. And that was really the end, the, the other bit of it. Um, I, again, we've only read four issues. Maybe if we continue to read, the, when we continue to read the Teen Titan main you know, series, we'll see that develop more. But that was interesting to me that they wouldn't try to sell that immediately. Look at the drama here. Look at all the teen angst or, you know, the will they, won't they, or who's she going to date this, you know, this issue kind of a thing. Um, 
Robin really has no character. <laughs> he he's he's the smart guy. That's yeah, about he, it. <laughs> he's Robin, man with a plan. Yeah, Robin is the guy in the chair. Um, everyone else doesn't really have like much of a character either, which is kind of disappointing considering that these are characters that have history behind them in terms of being with their mentor for so long. It's important to remember, Robin. At this time, this is still Dick Grayson, the young trapeze artist who was taken in by Bruce Wayne to become his uh, young ward, has a lot of knowledge and know-how from Batman, which I imagine is why he is the man with the plan, because he's a thinking, he's the thinking man's hero. He can still fight and protect himself, but he is, he is teamed up with the world's greatest detective. So he's a smart kid. I guess that's what they try to show with him being the planner. Um, Aqualad is Aqualad. Um, In the way that Donatello does machines, uh, Aqualad Aqualad does does fish. Yeah. Um, Of all the characters, Aqualad, ironically, is the one with the least depth because he goes to the bottom of the ocean. Um, But it is... It's funny to kind of see him play off of characters who have more history, like Kid Flash, who is his own superhero and constantly paired up with other adults when Flash isn't around. God, that's right. While, I forgot he's had a couple team-up adventures. He teams up yeah. with the Elongated Man a couple times. So, Kid Flash is actually incredibly capable as a solo hero. And possibly the most successful of the sidekicks, even though Robin has worked alongside the likes of Batman and Superman. Wally gets to do his own thing in his own town with no supervision. He's trusted to just do it well. None of the other sidekicks get to do that. Speaking of none of the others and the one with the most history behind her, let's talk about Wonder Girl and how Wonder Girl is a problem. So, if you listen to our Wonder Woman coverage during the 1960s, um, you will note that we have multiple issues of Wonder Woman comics where she is often with Wonder Girl, Wonder Tot, and her mother... And they have family stories that are often called impossible because it's not possible for Wonder Woman to be in multiple places at once because Wonder Girl and Wonder Tot and Wonder Woman are all the same person. They are just different versions of her at different time. So, at one point, they explain anytime you see Wonder Girl on the page alongside Wonder Woman, the story cannot be possible. It is, a f- it is a work of fiction within this work of fiction because it's impossible for these two people to be next to each other. What is the first thing we see when Wonder Girl gets the call to help the Teen Titans? There's she's, just no subtlety. She's standing absolutely next to Wonder Woman and Hippolyta, Queen of the Amazons. What the fuck? Um, she shouldn't be there. That's not how that works. But we play it off. No one ever mentions it. So... My girlfriend actually made a funny joke saying, does that mean that these are all fan fiction? Because they technically all have to do with Wonder Girl and therefore because she can't exist at the same time as these characters, they're all within that impossible storyline type of an idea. I think that's funny. Um, Here's the the scoop internally, a little bit of inside baseball um, of the history of this. Either Bob Haney didn't get the memo that Wonder Girl was also Princess Diana of of Themyscira. Or no one bothered to tell him that that was a thing he couldn't do. Because at a certain point later in this series, 
it will have to be explained that Wonder Girl is an entirely different character. She is not young Princess Diana because she can't be. So they completely retcon this character's backstory to be an entirely different Amazon because she can't actually be there due to the continuity that they've created very hard in the Wonder Woman storylines. Wonder Girl is quite possibly the worst fictional paradoxal anomaly of editorial fuck-up in such a way that it is benign because it's a kid's book, it's a comic, and they're all just hanging out. But in the sense of, wow, were you guys not paying attention? Like, no other place in comics, to my knowledge, is such a mistake made that they had to cover it up retroactively by explaining away why this can't actually be the Wonder Girl that everybody likes because technically she wouldn't be there. I think... I think that's the piece that's especially worth calling out, that this was a paradox so major, they created a new character who has stuck around. Yeah. Like, I have not, I haven't followed Wonder Girl at all. I, I Honestly, like, I haven't been super into Wonder Woman as an individual property or Wonder Girl, any of the Wonder Girls, because I think there are multiple, but I, I yes. don't know that history at all. But, man, when... When that happens and that decision has that many ripples, it is fascinating. And I can't think of anything to that degree, certainly. So, Wonder Girl is a problem. I don't get why they didn't just put Supergirl on the team. A Supergirl or Superboy is the other thing that comes to mind. Like, I kind of I get it, but the well, difference they, well, they can't in how Superboy. well Superman comics are selling at this time versus everything else i'll actually touch on this a little bit but of the of the comics of the periodicals that are comics that are uh reporting like per issue sales numbers the top five are superman properties and i'm talking like top five is still superman's pal jimmy olsen and superman's girlfriend lois lane and then there's everything else after that it sure feels like if if you're already gonna, if you're already gonna fuck with the timeline and the canon might as well go whole hog right right and that was the thing is it like you can't really do superboy because he's technically in the future with the legion of superheroes yeah, yeah. so yeah. in my mind i'm like yeah if you're trying to round it but out yeah. for numbers with a girl you've already got yeah. supergirl just do supergirl she's yeah. the, presumably the right age she you, you then have the character who is that strong and that invulnerable who can take the hits and be the tank for the team she mm-hmm. is she has her own established lore it's not like you're creating her from whole cloth and also people like the character yeah i don't understand why we didn't do that we went with wonder woman now there is also something to be said with where's where's speedy so coming up Right. I, I um, know that much. Right. But where yeah, is Green, what, where why is Green Arrow? Why is he here right now? Pick? I think is yeah. a perfectly valid question. Yeah. Because technically, all the other Justice League members don't have sidekicks except for Batman, Flash, Aquaman, and Green Arrow. How did Where's you Where's Martian not... Manhunter's cousin? Right. Or, or younger brother. Um, yeah. Like, the fact, of the, the fact that they, they pulled in 
an, a displaced time version of Wonder of Wonder Woman for the sake of having a girl on the team and didn't pick the one that was actually around. Or we didn't put in the other guy who's the other sidekick for a Justice League member. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Who's making these editorial decisions? Two two bits on that. And this is this is me poking around Wikipedia and Google results. So grain of salt on everything. But a, Wikipedia says that he has a history of saying screw you to to canon and continuity and sometimes writes characters out of character so i i think we might have gotten off easy to be honest (laughs) but uh actually the the other piece there that's worth noting is that the lightness of characterization maybe works in some ways i I think there are pluses and minuses but at, at least we're not getting characters out of character but the other thing that's worth noting is and i found this absolutely hilarious uh I think it was the editor because it was in the like letters column. Uh, they they actually like outright said, "Hey guys, yeah, we acknowledge that this is paradoxical. This couldn't happen. We don't know how to explain this away. Anyone have any ideas? <laughs> like it's not even okay. We're just gonna stay quiet until we fix it. It's um yeah. <laughs> DC had to admit that they goofed. Yep." It's not even a no prize. It's a, yeah, there's something wrong here. <laughs> Oops. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Supergirl is the logical choice there. Uh, yeah. I I do like... Uh, I like these light versions of the characters in some ways. Uh, I the, the way I would put it that has sort of resonated with me that I just kind of thought up uh, during the conversation was these aren't characters... Like, the little bits of budding headed headsedness or little bits of drama aren't there to create storylines at this point. They aren't like, oh, let's have like a page where we work this out. There aren't any arguments happening out of outside of combat. They're adding flavor to the quips. Yeah. Um they're one liners at best. Y- yeah. To... Yeah. Uh also a thing I I forgot to mention, but it was important for me to bring up in the issue where the Titans joined the Peace Corps. All the major heroes find out about it through the news. Flash sees it on the TV. Batman hears about it uh, on like a, a newspaper. Uh, Aquaman hears about it from like a herald while he's in Atlantis. Um, yep. <laughs> my favorite is the also one that couldn't happen. There's a dude on Paradise Island carving the I was news. trying to figure... I, I didn't want to make judgments or make assumptions, but... Yes, someone That's with relatively masculine features. Uh, yeah. How how did he get there? Is he just is he just Themyscira's one paper boy? <laughs> like what? They just like him on the island because he's good at delivery paper. What is that? It, it, oh God, Bob Haney, man, just doing whatever he wants. <laughs> yep. I'm gonna take I'm like, gonna take the, par- the the paradox Wonder Girl. There's a dude on Paradise Island. It's not even gonna be Steve Trevor. Like if it was Steve Trevor, like handing a newspaper to Wonder Woman, I would have been fine with it. But it is squarely a masculine-looking individual carving a, a stone tablet with the news into it. And I'm like, that's come on, man. There's one rule: no dudes. Like <laughs> it's not that hard. Yep. The thing that I want to look at now that I'm I'm gonna poke at in the background is uh, Haney 
which like editorial fiefdom he was in because I know who the editor was, but I don't know if there was any crossover with uh, Wonder Woman characters uh, at all because he might just not have any exposure to that because the editor was also involved in... Let me look at my notes. Uh, the editor was George Cashton, uh, who we mostly know from editing Aquaman. But, oh, editor for the... All but the very first uh, issue. Uh, the first one was Murray Boltonoff. I think there wasn't like a crossover in the editorial fiefdom. He, he just had access to these characters who he probably hadn't worked with before and his editor probably hadn't worked with. So to explain kind of what Matt is describing, mm -hmm. for those who don't understand how uh, comics bullpens worked for a while um, in the old days... There would be one editor who uh, managed the teams on all the books underneath them. So say I'm an editor and I've been given Green Lantern, The Flash, and Green Arrow. So I manage all three of those teams to make sure that they're getting their work done, that their stories make sense. It's up to the quality that we want at DC Comics and that they're all doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, the writers write, the artists uh you know, pencils, inks, uh, colors, the letterer does their job. As the editor, my job is to help facilitate that. If the editor in charge of Teen Titans was not also in charge of Wonder Woman, like Matt is saying, the editor might not have known that the Wonder Woman editor states that Wonder Girl is a time paradox situation. So if the editor in charge didn't tell Bob Haney that he couldn't do that because the other editor... Was a different person. Yeah, that's probably why Bob Haney got away with it for as long as he did until somebody was like, hey, you can't do that. And they might not have noticed because the people who were working on Teen Titans weren't talking to the people who were working on Wonder Woman until one of them maybe had a conversation. Be like, oh, yeah, we're using Wonder Girl in our book. And he's like, wait, how? <laughs> I wonder if that's why we didn't get Supergirl because they couldn't persuade the uh, Superman like that the house chunk editor uh yeah. to, be, to let them use the character i genuinely don't know and it might be but i'm i'm willing to bet that's what ended up happening is probably the team that was making wonder woman picked up a teen titans comic at one point and was like what the hell's wonder girl doing here and they're like did you did you know about this they're like yelling at each other like How, what is she doing here and they go where's bob go go find bob get bob in here Oh, comics. The Wild West of liter literature. Yeah, in retrospect, maybe it's good that they were relatively late on characterization then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think I got too ton of much, because we've already touched on a couple of the big ones. Uh, looking at the creative team, so yeah, editor was George Cashton, uh, who we know from editing Aquaman. Uh, writer, Bob Haney, World War II, or War Comics, and uh, Metamorpho, and Team Up stuff. Uh, pencilers primarily Nick Cardi, who also did Aquaman, uh, with or at least uh, he'll he did the showcase in Teen Titans issues, and he'll keep doing uh, future Teen Titans uh, issues. Uh, Bruno Premiani uh, did the Brave and the Bold issues, but yeah, like <laughs> the Aquaman connection is interesting to me because, well, actually, because of the point you make that Aqualad has so little depth to him. Uh, yeah, even with the characters they know better, they're not really doing too much with. 
one of the things that's interesting about really digging into the weeds on a new series especially like i'll i'm more likely to poke around wikipedia pages and and see like oh where does this fit into the comics landscape and sometimes that leads to interesting like wikipedia holes like oh what were the awards that happened for this year oh there's like an alley uh what's it called uh alley awards uh it seems like something that only happened in the 60s but a bunch of different like comics related like best in blank uh category stuff and I noticed one that really stood out to me from, I believe, 1966. The Alley Award for Best Fan Fiction went to... First off, Best Fan Fiction is an amazing uh, awards category. Second off, Power Man vs. the Blue Barrier by George R. R. Martin. <laughs> it's just interesting to look through. <laughs> All right. And it's interesting to, like, that shows up on his Wikipedia page. It's like, all right, fair enough. But yeah, like th- those kinds of things are interesting. Those uh, ephemera, mm-hmm. eh, kind of. I kind of touched on this a little bit, but just kind of a general reminder that we are talking about comics. Uh, partly, we're talking about comics. Uh, we're casting a wide enough net that we're talking about a lot of comics. But the ones that we are, I I think I can speak for both of us. The ones we're most passionate about are maybe the ones are are generally the ones that have the most ramifications long-term. Like we talked really passionately about when Green Lantern and Flash relaunched and because those are the template for what's going to happen for what's going to push forward in comics for a long while and be the driver. None of that has anything to do with what comics are the most popular sold the most at this time. You heard me say top five, all Superman stuff. That's going to change when Batman comes out. Uh, or more precisely, when 1966 TV show is in full swing. For the first time in a long while, Batman overtakes uh, Superman and is just sitting at the top of the charts. The thing that absolutely crushes both of those, Mad Magazine, with I think 1.5, 1.6 million copies sold per issue. At the same time, like there's all the other... Uh, non-superhero comics that are doing extremely well like i I think we talked about 1960 61 like in that range uh scrooge mcduck was the big money maker and then everything drops off when the when i think dell the publisher is the first to go to 15 cents and just misses the mark people weren't ready to pay that yet and like a year or two later uh dc and marvel like go up to 11 and 12 cents just sort of generally worth keeping in mind that we are talking about a lot of comics, but the contemporary comics landscape is always going to look different than what is critically uh, acclaimed decades later. Moving on from there, I, again, this is Wiki, this is Google research. Uh, apparently, it is a quote from Titan's Companion, Volume One. This I thought spoke really well to the like teen as aesthetic piece. That's the way I think of it, at least. The teenness isn't driving the story. It is more like a, a layer of paint is kind of how I'm thinking of it. Uh, the line from this that sort of illustrates it, it wasn't shooting for teen readers. It was, Haney said in Titan's Companion Volume 1, very calculatingly aimed at a 12-year-old audience. We kept it very simple. And that, I think, speaks to... It's the layer of, like, jive, and here are the words that you might hear your older brother saying, and the things that they... uh, These are the things they probably care about that I think a a teen would care about, but not necessarily the... Or it's not 
the teen as seen through the lens of a teen. It is the teen as seen through the lens of an adult trying to see through the lens of a 12-year-old, I guess. This is as much geared towards teens as Pokemon was. Huh. Yeah. Good way to put it. All the characters, like Pokemon or Digimon, all the characters in those shows are teenagers who don't have any of the problems that a normal teenager does. Yeah. But they're teenagers, so they're older than the viewer, so they can be cooler, and they're someone that the viewer can look up to. Good way to put it. Other teen things going around at this point. Uh, it's worth noting the things that are most explicit, the things that were probably most explicitly like actually aimed at teens are different genres. Like there's a ton of like teen heartthrob comics of teen romance. Uh, I mean, there's all the like Archie stuff that is, eh, I mean, debatable what age Archie is, but I, I think Archie is a little bit more like actually teens for teens. Um, Teens for everybody, I guess, a little more. But if you're talking superhero comics, uh, like there are the stories with sidekicks that we've talked about and the stories that are especially like focused on the sidekicks, like Kid Flash having recurring stories. But in terms of superhero comics with teen characters in the name, well, Uncanny X-Men in 63, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man is going by this point. Maybe, you kind of maybe count uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Apparently there is Dial H for Hero, which I guess was something different at this point. A guy, a uh, presumably teen, certainly a younger person. Uh, they they use the term uh, a boy on like the cover text that I saw. Uh, like if he dials H, he turns into a different like set of hero powers. Uh, but other than that, like this is kind of it for like a teen superhero thing. Speaking to the Wonder Girl bit, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say we both grew up on Teen Titans, the animated show from, especially from the, like, what was it, mid-2000s, so Teen Titans, not Teen Titans Go. The Toonami era of Cartoon Network. Exactly that, uh, which was a two out of five uh, female character and strong female characters, like, Lots of characterization, a lot of work put into those characters, uh, and seeing the very first incarnation of the Teen Titans in Brave and the Bold 54 not have a female character is like, that's weird. I get it, but that's weird. <laughs> However, fun fun Easter eggs here, or notes rather. Robin, Aqualad, and Kid Flash are the three characters who start the entirety of the Young Justice series. Huh. I, I do remember that. That is a good intro sequence. Uh, the, the the first two episodes of Young Justice are Robin, Aqualad, and Kid Flash discovering Superboy. That's the right, first yeah. major villain. That's right, because Speedy doesn't uh, join at that point. I forgot right. about that. Roy, Roy goes off show. in a huff. The first major villain they fight at Mount Justice is Mr. Twister. I completely forgot about that. He is a robot that has tornado powers, and they think it's Red Tornado in disguise testing That's them. That's right. And the guy controlling him next to T.O. Morrow is named Brom, which is the name of Mr. Twister in the story. Holy shit. <laughs> That's cool. The one other thing I'll call out, uh, well, two, two little quick, relatively quick notes. Uh, the other piece of, I can't decide whether to give them credit for this uh, politically, is Bromstick slash Mr. Twister slash guy who is charging feathers for rent. Uh, they're playing around with like native american implications like he has 
Native American like uh, items and powers. Uh, just he, he's a white guy who stumbled on some stuff. Uh, he his ancestor like rented the place out for a a comical uh, rent, uh, and they are a, a bunch of white guys thinking they're getting pulling one over on this guy. Uh, it feels like there's a lot playing there with native american like history and uh white native american relations and but i i can't give it too much credit for playing in that space it doesn't do anything with it uh it just kind of feels like oh there's an inference there uh i don't know uh the more the piece that's more interesting uh even if i'm going to be brief on it because i don't have too much to say is i really like the pacing on these like I liked these comics. Mm-hmm. I read them. I read them in one sitting. Like, and it was not yeah. hard for me to do. It was just all right. I'm just going through this. This is. I had fun. They were. They're snappy. They're not doing like one by one by one by one challenges. Uh, it's just everybody. It feels like a running team fight where everybody is getting to contribute. I under. There's no gimmick e. Uh, like solutions it is hey i've got the thing i'm gonna do the thing i'm coming up with a plan and like they they wind up using very similar like sucker the guy out plans in a couple of them but it just it fits together nicely it doesn't have as many like cool aquaman e solutions like i've got a fish for this uh but it's still like it fits together nicely it, it is logically cohesive and it's fast yeah they're they're popcorn yeah and and not in a bad way it's like it's a popcorn flick is like something you're gonna sit and you're gonna eat popcorn the whole time watching and enjoy yourself that's what these comics are they are not very deep they don't have a lot of nuance to them but you read them going like okay cool that was quick i'll go to the i'll read the next one now because it's more just of this nonsense so it you're right it does feel good to read it's just it's a kid's it's a kiddie pool yeah i could read these comfortably while uh, the TV was showing a show and occasionally I could like chime in on the show. <laughs> yeah. All right. I have to recommend a comic series that I picked up out of order, but I have to recommend it. It's called Klaus by Grant Morrison and Dan Mora, I believe. Um, the best way to describe Klaus is what if, what if Santa Claus was Thor from the Marvel movies and he fought literal wars for the sake of Christmas. Um, it's a bizarre comic. It's super fun, but it's so weird. <laughs> I, I enjoy it thoroughly because it is, it is insane. Um, oh man. Klaus is a, is a wild ride. Uh, just, yeah. Just imagine Chris Hemsworth Thor as Santa Claus do fighting monsters. It's amazing. And I, 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 I won't give up more than that. The Wikipedia page says, quote, the series cast Santa Claus as a V for Vendetta and Robin Hood-esque figure. Yes, that's <laughs> very, very much true. <laughs> okay. Styled as a sprawling superhero origin story akin to Batman Year One. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Cool. It looks pretty. Like looking at it's, these covers, it's it really beautifully great. drawn. Um, the art is very good. Huh. But it's also cool. Grant. Mo- so it's it's also Grant Morrison. So it's going to be a lot of thinly veiled metaphors for really, really, really high detail ideas. So 
if you get confused, that's the point. Morrison and Moore intended to craft a brand new sexy Santa for the modern age. Yes. <laughs> all right. That is all you need to know. <laughs> that sounds really good, actually. All yeah. right. All right. Uh, on my end, I, on the one hand, so first, very briefly, if if you are if you are like me and you read a lot of comics digitally, uh, get go to like a Goodwill or something and see if they have used tablets. Uh, I'll lean into this one a little bit harder. The other thing uh, is I definitely recommend weightlifting. I am enjoying exercise. I don't usually enjoy like just conditioning stuff. Weightlifting is awesome. Uh, but I have, I read comics digitally by and large. Uh, it's stuff where I will list, I will, uh, get like Marvel Unlimited or DC Universe Infinite at this point or Humble Bundle stuff and just, okay, I've got a bunch of stuff to read. And if you're reading stuff on a a computer, it's a little bit, it's far away from your eyes. Ideally, you are having to scroll down through each page. I spent 20 bucks on a cheap six-year-old tablet and it doesn't run the DC Universe Infinite app. It doesn't run the uh, Marvel Unlimited app, but I can bring up their web pages and just takes forever to load things, but it's in the right aspect ratio. I can bring it into bed with me. I can just tap, tap, tap my way on through. And it, I'm, I am liking that experience. Uh, and I didn't have to buy a brand new tablet for it. And I'm very glad of that. It's worth investing in comfort. Yep. 100%. Okay. We've done two years worth of Teen Titan issues and four issues. What we're going to do next is Doom Patrol. Yes. Because we are the masters of our own fate before we jump into the usual alphabetical nonsense that we jump into afterwards. Um, I've made the executive decision that we're just going to do all the new stuff first because it's fun. And then mm-hmm. we'll fold that into the alphabetical cadence uh, in the future. But uh, next is Doom Patrol, which will probably be a similar few issues between 1964 and 1966. Um then after that, we're likely going to try and do a speed run or at least a power read of some Legion of Superheroes uh, for quite a while because we are behind. But I'm excited to get to some some newer things. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The fabulous foursome had more adventures ahead of them, and we had a good sense of what made them tick, for now. As we set our sights on even more new adventures, we hoped that the Doom Patrol would keep us safe in these uncharted waters. 